Good morning, Hickory Ridge family. I am not used to being here. I love saying hello to you at the front door, but this is completely different. But I'm honored to be with you today as we head into week four of our series on how to deal with baggage. Um, today, we're going to be talking about live free from the baggage of the past. But before I start, I just want to say, as Carly did so well, happy Mother's Day to all of you. This is definitely a day worth celebrating. And of course, I want to be sensitive to everyone in this room, I know that this day can come with some emotion and heaviness, and um, I want you to know that I have been praying about this message and for all the hearts in this room or online for months now. <laughs> and I just wanted, I asked God if he could just cover the hearts here today. I asked that he would give you peace, that we would feel his presence, and I don't know where each of you are in this journey with him, but I truly feel that I want to walk away today to be able to hear his voice a little clearer than I am right now. So after all, he is the redeemer of mankind, and he can and he will show up and help us take those burdens off of us that the world sometimes puts on us, help us to better see and deal and learn how to lay down the baggage of the past. So I think it's important as we start off our time together is first attempting to find out where are we with, what, with how we're dealing with the baggage of our past. Um, I know many of us are very uh, well aware of our baggage, <laughs> and I know many of us are wanting to be free of that. So my husband and I have done quite a bit of walking life out with people over a couple decades, <laughs> um, counseling, and what we have found is that there is a segment of us who are still needing to figure out and how to make that connection between our past pain and our current baggage. So I'm going to start by going into our first group, which I'm calling unaware unaware of the baggage that is holding us back from the fullness of what God has planned for us, unaware of the baggage that is holding us back from a growing relationship with God, our relationships within our family, our workplace, or just simply interaction with people around us. You know, one of the things I value and I love about this church is how much we help people with personal Christian counseling. We go out of the way to try to find those underlying holes in our life, the past brokenness that really results in that baggage that we carry, and just as a church, the people here, I mean, you guys are amazing. Just the text I was getting this morning, um, it's just a beautiful picture. We really take the time to talk about our past, right, and to contrast it to the truth of God's word, the truth of who God says you are, and the truth of God's plans and promises for you. So what does that look like? Well, let's be honest. It's going to look different for every single one of us in this room. And it's going to take some time to reflect by ourselves and with those who we can trust around us. So I'm going to let you know a little secret of baggage that I carried when I was unaware. <laughs> and that was probably early, my early 20s, Andy and I had just gotten married. And um, I did not realize how bad a communicator I was. I mean, seriously, it was anytime there was conflict or tension, I would just shut down. I couldn't organize my thoughts, and I would often just stop talking. That doesn't work well in a marriage. So, but what would happen is I'd wake up every morning and I would be nervous. So I did something that I did not think was a bad thing. I don't know if you've all heard of Pepto-Bismol, something for your stomach, the little pink bottle. I would literally drink that every morning. I would just take a swig, not measure it, just swig it. That is not healthy, okay? So, but my husband helped me realize, pointed out to me first, that's not healthy. But secondly, what is going on? What is the root reason why you're doing this every morning? And listen, I know God can reveal stuff to us directly, but the truth is when you have someone else in your life who you allow to speak in and you trust, you can also hear it that way. Was I willing to listen? Yes, absolutely. But the thing we came down to, it was a heart level. It was something that was deeper. It was rooted in me that I was scared. 
I was scared to deal with those things. And if we're all being honest, I think we all have created defense mechanisms in our life to way to cope with things. And sometimes we're totally unaware of it until it's brought to our attention. And this was not an easy process, let me tell you. <laughs> We've been together 30 years. And it took Andy and I years for me to get to a point where I could deal with my stuff in life. And look at me. He can't get me to stop talking. He's created a monster. So, and I never stop talking. That's right. <laughs> but when things in life are not dealt with and it creates negativity, it not only puts weight on you, but it, put weights on, it puts weight on everybody around you. There's just these layers that we keep building. So let me ask you today, what are you carrying that isn't healthy? What from our past has become part of our present and is contrary to what God intended? Ephesians 1.18 I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called, called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Open the eyes of your heart. I mean, that's pretty vulnerable, right? Sounds kind of personal. That's where God wants to be with us, in our baggage. We need to trust him, allow him in, and I promise you when we do that, he shows up every time. That moves us into our next group, which I'm calling aware and unwilling. We can be aware of our baggage, but unwilling to change it. Obedience to a rule can feel like we're losing something, right? That something's being taken away from us. But the truth is, God says that our willingness to change is met with his blessing. Luke eleven twenty eight says, Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Could it be <laughs> that our obedience to a loving and protective father is saving us from something far more dangerous? I think of this analogy of guardrails, you know what those on the road, the metal things? Um, why do they exist? To take the joy out of life, make things not fun? No, it, it's quite simply so when, it helps us guide us on our journey, right? It helps us protect us when we get off our journey. Psalm 119 says that the, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We are blessed when we follow God's word, his path. Here's the thing though, we can tempt, we'd be tempted to go off-roading and the guardrails are at the very least something that can get us back on track, right? Or at the very worst, save us from something far more dangerous. And we've all veered off the path one time or another. I know I have. And that just makes things harder and longer to get through. Sometimes the thing we need to do is stop and regroup. Um, ask somebody we can trust for advice. And I know, I, I don't know if anybody else has this problem, but I do not like to ask for help. It is not something that comes easy to me. It's not a weakness. I've learned that in my life that it's not a weakness. But there's not a perfect plan for letting go of your baggage, but there has to be a plan. And I don't want this to sound like I'm only talking about letting go of baggage. Don't mishear me. I'm well aware for some of us that's not an option. I know what some of us carry is very heavy. And it's certain things we might be carrying for our whole life. But here's the thing. If we are obedient to laying the baggage at God's feet, he can change how we carry it. So I'm going to give you another example of my baggage. <laughs> um, prior to having children, I did not have anger issues. I'm spicy, but I'm not, I did not have anger. Um, but after I became a mom, it was hard. I found I didn't have control over certain areas of my life. I, my time, what I wanted to do, it became difficult. And I got angry. I would blow up. There'd be reasons were sometimes temporary, and sometimes the reasons were more permanent, things I really couldn't change. But every time I blew up, do you ever feel like you're carrying a bag on your back, like this big old sack of guilt, 
And every time I blew up, it just got heavier and heavier. You know, and your posture changes, your heart changes. And somehow I justified the anger. But there was this day I remember vividly, sorry guys, <laughs> that, um, you know, we got up late, things weren't going right, people weren't doing what I asked. I don't know if any of you have felt that, but definitely can feel that. Where my sweet little Olivia was three years old, comes hopping into the kitchen, and I had already sure said some things and acted a certain way. And she looks at me and she goes, what's wrong with your face? <laughs> and of course, in my loving way, I go, what are you talking about? And she's like, your face, it looks like this. <laughs> and then she says, why don't you fix that? Here's the thing. This was a crossroad moment, right? This was a moment of, of conviction, or at least it should have been. I had a choice. And I don't know how the Holy Spirit talks to you, but this is how he talks to me. What you gonna do now? Kind of thing. Seriously. And I realized that I either could give her a lesson in how mommy needs to ask for forgiveness and had to show her where I had fallen short, or I could give her a lesson in avoidance and not deal with what was really mine to take on. So I knelt down next to her and I said, mommy did not have the right to talk to you that way. I'm so sorry. Um, will you forgive me? Of course she did. And she skipped out of the room with a lightness that was undeniable. Here's the thing. That was probably more of a defining moment for me than her. But it was in my control to offer her humility when all else seemed out of control. Do you feel the words of Jesus from 2 Corinthians 2.19 coming on? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I would love to tell you that I never got angry again, that the sun just shone down on me, sky parted, but no, it didn't happen. But what did happen was God planted a seed in my heart. He planted a seed in how I could start to change. I mean, I was fumbling every day. It was not a pretty picture all the time, but God gave me guardrails to be able to know I needed to ask for help. It's a novel thing. I had to help engage my children in what was bothering me, do the hard work so that things could change. And I know my kids knew I was trying because <laughs> one day I hear Sammy, who's about 10 years old, my son, and he said, hey, mom, there's a commercial on TV and uh, there's ladies eating chocolate and she's so relaxed and looks like her cares are just going away. And I'm like, that's great. He goes, you should probably get some of that. <laughs> so if you want to be humbled, just hang around some children. I now realize that those days were an absolute gift, and I am so thankful God got a hold of my heart, and I was willing to do that hard work. I don't like to think about what life would have been if I hadn't. So the third group now is willing but deceived. Willing to change, but de deceived into thinking that simply chipping away at the external behavior habits will result into real freedom. There are times when we need to look at the external change and say to ourselves, is that really lasting change? This may be more about, um, does the outside match the inside? And I was trying to think about this, and um, I grew up Catholic. I loved how I grew up. It, it really was where I built my faith. But I have to be honest, there was a lot of traditions and a lot of checking off of boxes. And what I wasn't feeling was I was going through the routine, but my heart wasn't changed. I didn't know what it was to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And truly, it wasn't until I took that step back and I and met my friend Jamie, who introduced me to what that meant, but really saying that I had this great foundation. I had all these things that seemed like I was walking it out well, but I wasn't really getting to what God is calling me to be. Sometimes we 
we need to deal with the sin and how it impacts others, but we also cannot set up camp there. I needed to move forward. We need to move forward in that. We often spend so much time in how we feel. Sometimes we forget how that affects others. And I needed to get my heart in the right place so that our family could walk it out with God. Psalm 51, I think, Psalm 51.10, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do you see what's being said there? <laughs> it always comes back to the heart. Jesus is looking for our whole heart, not just part of it. And the heart, not the external stuff, is typically where our baggage lies. Our hard work, our journey towards a pure heart, helps those who don't know Jesus. This, is, this has been on my heart as I've been <clears throat> kind of preparing for this, but um, there are people who have never known the love of Jesus. That brings me almost to tears. But here's the thing. If they can see the people who do know him, see us walk it out and not have to be perfect. I mean, truly the thing that talks to people, that speaks to them, is when they see us walk it out, not always well, the good, the bad, the ugly, but saying, look where I went. Look where I went toward. Look where God brought my heart. You know, the thing is, our actions to people, how we treat them, speaks the loudest. It truly, truly does. By people watching us, how God loves us and how we love them, it translates. And then they want to know, how do you do that? Where does that come from? And the thing is, this is the bottom line. I saw this quote, and I love it. And it says, your story may become someone else's survival guide. Sharing, telling people how God has helped you walk this life out. So how do we walk this with Jesus? We're honest with him, and we allow him to change us from the inside out. How do we help others grow in their walk? We're honest with them. <laughs> and we allow them to see the change in our heart, not just our outward habits. That leads us to the fourth group, which I'm calling willing and submitted. <laughs> That's the one. So when you're willing and submitted, your heart, when you're willing to submit your heart to God, you're believing that God's best for your life is better than the control of your life. As Paul shared in the Philippian church, Philippians 3, 13 through 14, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for God, which has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you know how we can successfully run this race? The race that's uniquely set for you? It's not by looking at the sin and the shame that we feel is on us. It's not with our eyes focused on anybody else, on comparison. We successfully run the race when we realize the following. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, then Jesus starts to fix us. We cannot do this with our own will, our strength. I have tried. Remember the word forgetting, though, in Philippians. The thing about this is it isn't telling us to try and wipe our minds clean of the baggage. It means that while we learn from the past, we make the submitted decision not to live in the past. It means to accept God's plan for us. And when we submit and we confess and we ask him, Lord, help me, he says it is forgotten. And he rejoices in that. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And of course, from God's perspective, what is forgotten? It's not only the sin, but as we learned in the past series, it's the weight of that sin. The baggage we're carrying around, it's cleansed, all of it. So here's the thing. <laughs> now that we are aware 
and willing and submitted to God to change, I think there's three things we can talk about. And I think Hebrews 12 is a great blueprint for us to follow. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says here, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with the perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what's the first thing we need to do? Surround yourself with godly cheering section. You need people. <laughs> this part of the verse in Hebrew, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You need people who are for you. You need people who are going to point you back to God, who are going to laugh with you, who are going to cry with you, who are going to stand next to you when you're carrying that baggage and say, how can I help? Once we're aware of the baggage we're carrying, it becomes very evident very quickly that we need people in our life who are going to help us find joy, who are going to help us find God, who are going to help us endure. We need people who see the value of our hearts being healed by God. When we can trust those who are cheering us on, we can be held accountable for what God has for each one of us. Find people who are living their life as Jesus did. And take those active, they want you to take those active steps to throw off the things that are not of God. Those are the people we want in our life. People who are empathetic, who are kind, who are compassionate, who aren't looking for something in return. The thing they want is to see you grow in your relationship with Jesus. If people in your life are giving you advice and it sounds more like condemnation than conviction, you might be surrounding yourself with not the best people. If you're with people in your life who don't help you connect more deeply with God, you may not be surrounding yourself with the best people. Here's the thing, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33 through 34, it says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought not, as you ought and stop sinning. I have some really key people in my life who I'm held accountable to. And I got to tell you, it's, it has been the thing that has changed me, to allow people in and talk to me and tell me what I need from, from God, that they're seeing what would be the best for me. Jesus is not a weight. God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of order, and that's how our relationship should feel. I'm not saying that life won't have its challenges, because they do, and life is hard. But here's the thing, the Holy Spirit will give you discernment into which relationships. When you know the Holy Spirit, when you hear it, he will give you that discernment. And it brings light into a situation and not darkness or confusion. In John 10.10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The voices in your life, the, the folks who are speaking into your situation should be doing the same thing. They should be building you up. Now listen, being pulled up short sometimes doesn't feel like it's building you up, but sometimes it's exactly what we need when it's coming from the voices we need to hear it from. Look for healthy conversations that are born out of healthy hearts. There are people who have walked out a lot. There's a lot of wisdom in trials. And people, when you seek people out who have walked those things out and they speak into your life, it changes how you see things. So what does a support system look like? Like, is it life draining or life giving? Your cheering section should be there to help you process. 
and deal with the baggage of the past. And here's the thing, you have that cheering, when you need it, your cheering section should be there, helping you, guiding you. But then this amazing thing happens. God comes in and changes the situation. And he said, now you are the cheering section for somebody else. Strong relationships grow and last when you evaluate what you bring to the table, not just what's missing from other people. And listen, I have done that. I'm not outside of anything I'm talking about here. This is, this is one of those things where when you learn it, you're like, oh my gosh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Jesus gave it all. He taught. He listened. He loved. He washed feet. He sacrificed. That's a pretty good blueprint, don't you think? He didn't give with strings attached, though. But he did give with the idea that if you follow him, you will be blessed. Okay, number two. Keep running the race towards God. We, we, we can run this race. It's an active process by actively investing in God's word. Okay, here's the thing. I am super competitive. Um, my husband does not let me go to church functions where there are board games unless he is present. That is the <laughs> truth. And I see, I know who you are out there. We've played games. Yeah, that's right. So the thing is, my desire to win is really strong. But imagine putting that energy into winning for God. So here's the thing. Find out what are your strengths from God. And ask yourself this question. Am I using my strength for God's glory? Am I using that strength for, how, for the people that God puts in my path? Am I using that strength to raise my children? For how I treat my spouse when no one is looking? Nothing is wrong with being competitive unless it's only for the benefit to win. I truly encourage you to get out of your comfort zone and do the hard work. I am very much out of my comfort zone <laughs> right now. But my hard work is truly making sure that my thoughts are listening to the obedience of God's word and not listening to the lies of the enemy. Figure out what baggage is holding you back and lay it at God's feet. Ask him to show you how to let it go with his strength or how to carry it with his grace. Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So how else can we run this race? Talk to people. <laughs> Invest in them. Hear their stories. Let me tell you, there has been, I have learned so much from hearing from people, hearing their stories, then reading God's word and seeing what he says about what they're walking out. The word comes alive to you when you can read something and say, so-and-so is walking that out, because here's what you can do. You can pray for them. You can even then speak truth into them. Because I know when sometimes people come at me with stuff, I'm like, I don't know what to say. It feels too much. But when I know what God says, that's what I say. It's his word. I'm just passing it on. I have been spending over a month in the Book of Ruth with a bunch of amazing women <laughs> from this church. And I got to tell you, it has changed the way I read scripture. Knowing verses and hiding them in your heart allows you to discern the type of relationships you want. When you know the truth of God, you will be less likely to allow old habits or old baggage to creep in places that belong to God. Your decisions are no longer based on the approval of people or past hurts, but are based on what God needs for you and your focus is fixed on him. God asks one thing of us, just one really, for us to believe in him. Ephesians 2.10, 
for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's a question. What's holding you back from running your race? Or as Ephesians says, walking your race. When I'm afraid to step, in, step out in faith, I go straight to the cross every time. Let's put down our pride or our fear or whatever is damaging for you and ask God to help. He will bless that. The weight and the burden and the baggage will no longer be ours to carry alone. Okay, number three, the last one, part of our blueprint. Expect obstacles and competition on the path. That's right, competition. <laughs> um, so, the pop-up, expect obstacles and competitions on the path. Okay. So, in Hebrews 12, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's the thing, sin is part of this world. The world is broken. People are broken. But as believers, we need to dig into that baggage and lay it before God. We need to become aware of it so that we can choose obedience. And I'm not talking about ignoring trauma or ignoring the bruises of life, but just not settling there. When we endure trauma, we endure opposition, we endure the baggage, we press in to what helps versus what hurts. This part of the message, you are worthy. You are called, and you are made in God's image. It's a big deal. <laughs> All of us are made in God's image. So let's help each other where we can. Let's cheer each other on where we can, especially when life gets hard. You know, God knew I was going to be doing this message today because doing the book of Ruth and working through with all the women in the group has been interesting. I always thought the book of Ruth was going to be about one thing, a love story, but it wasn't just that. It's so much deeper. The topic of baggage of the past is beautifully illustrated in this book. Ruth knew a little something about trauma, <laughs> about bitterness and baggage. And like I said, at first glance, I thought it was just going to be a love story. But it's not going to be exactly that. What it is, you have Ruth as a Moabite, right? She converts to Judaism. And I, believe, I have to believe that caused some problems in her family, right? That couldn't have been easy. She married one of Naomi's sons. They both could not have expected that their husbands would have passed away. This was not an easy time for these women, especially when they were alive. Naomi decides that she wants to go back to her hometown, and she tells Ruth, you don't have to come. I mean, Naomi's struggling in her own faith, right? But Ruth decides to go with Naomi. Why? So let's take a look. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Ruth knew that godly, accountable relationships were important. She knows that there was a, a willingness for her to commit. In the second part of that verse, it says, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth knew that returning to her homeland meant returning to the deities of that land. Ruth had made her commitment to Naomi, right? She's tied to that commitment, and she's running the race towards God, who she worshiped and who basically she was discovering who she was. She was not the baggage of her past. The next part of Ruth, it says, um, 117, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death 
parts me from you. Ruth knew she was running this race for God, and it wasn't going to be easy all the time. It was a day in and day out. So they get back to, to Judah, and she has to find a place to eat. They have to figure out how are they going to sustain themselves. So there's this word gleaning that many of you might know, I did not at the time, is basically the landowners are told that they need to leave wheat on the ground for widows and poor to pick up. So they can go into fields and they can pick it up. Now here's the thing, Ruth is four chapters. So when I read it real quick the first time, I was like, well, that's quick. But if you really stop and think about what she's doing, how long did it take them to go to Moab to Judah? How hard was it? What was she feeling? I mean, I think we all have had long days, right? How long was this process? When you step into the story and put yourself in there and say, how would that feel? It changes how you read it. I have this picture, and I hope you don't mind. <laughs> I'm going to show you. When I, I lost space, I'll walk over here. When she is bent over, just picking up this wheat on the ground, there's this posturing, right? It seems like something heavy on her back. Do, do any of you have days like this where you feel like all day long you're just picking up stuff, one thing after another? She, she is trying to sustain herself. The things she is picking up and she's looking at for her is her food, right? These are the things that she's going to be able to eat all day. But I was thinking of myself in that posture. All day long, you're picking up things. Is it what you should? You're picking up things. Is that what God intended? And so let's say things are heavier than you expected. At the end of the day, what did Ruth do? She has to stand up. We have to stand up. What do we, when we look in our hands, what do we do? Jeez, I don't want that. That's too hard, Lord. Or do we pull in? We pull back? What did she do? And listen, she's human. So there were days she was hot. This was hard. But what did she do? Did she look up? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you put in my hands. Because for her, that was to sustain her, right? Here's the thing. She's walking this out every day. I think sometimes our days can feel like this. It feels like we're trying to accomplish things that can be endless, particularly as it moms. It can be hard. There's not always a guarantee what the end of the day is going to look like. What's the guarantee? Him. That's the guarantee. He's going to be there every single time. But that's not where Ruth ends. not where the story ends, right? We're still thinking it's Boaz. He's going to come in and save the day. But here's the thing. He comes in, but let me tell you why. He seemingly has plenty, right? He allows Ruth to glean in the field. Not only that but he also puts a word of protection over her, which was important back then. Women were not always treated well. He put a word of protection over her to say no one is to bother her, no one is to hurt her. That has to put her at ease, I'm sure. At this point, he isn't giving her, Boaz isn't giving her more to benefit from the relationship. His mind is what God has asked him to do, to care for her without asking for anything in return. Do you see how Ruth's baggage is now lighter? I mean, that, even that posturing of what she has to do all day, do you see it by him just stepping in, how that lifted her up? And don't mishear me. I know grief, what we deal with and what we walk out is for our whole lives. But let me ask you this question. Do we turn to God when the baggage gets too heavy for us to carry? Now hear me out. Boaz was not God. But perhaps this was a foreshadowing of what was to come. He was talked about as being a way maker. And in Hebrew, the word goel, which is something, someone who steps in as a redeemer, he, make, he made a way for Ruth. He was a light in a dark place for Ruth. He was 
living a life of integrity. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> the book of Ruth is where we can see what was to come, what Jesus was going to bring. So yes, Boaz stepped in and gave Ruth something she needed, but what God was doing was saying, look what it will be if you choose me. Interestingly, Ruth is the um, great-grandmother of King David, and that's a Moabite in the lineage of Jesus. Boaz's mother was thought to maybe be the, pro the prostitute Rahab. What a man she raised, right? Why would God lay out the story this way? Why would God put all of these people with this baggage in the lineage to the coming of Christ? Could he be saying, I know life is hard. I'm not asking for perfect people or perfect stories, but I am looking for those who are willing to walk out my will through it. Would you stand with me? I don't know where each of you are at in your journey right now with the things that you're carrying, particularly when we walk out the hard stuff. But I want to invite you today to take a step with Jesus at the center and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. Because when we choose Jesus in the hard stuff, particularly the hard stuff of the past, it's how we heal, it's how we hope, and it's how we find joy in a journey that sometimes can kick our backsides and break our hearts. Boaz and Ruth both had a part to play individually with God. And you have a part to play with God as well. If you're here today joining us online and you've been letting the hurts of the past or the baggage hinder you from moving forward, I want to ask you to raise your hand. I would like to pray with you. Lord God, thank you so much for today. Just thank you for this opportunity for bringing this before you. Lord, I know there's a lot of hearts out here carrying a lot of things. Lord, but you know them. You know every single one. Lord, you know each of us intimately. And Lord, for those of us who don't know you, maybe as well as others, I ask, Lord, that they step into that space, that they hear you, Lord. I ask that, Lord, we do not listen to the lies of the enemy that creep in and say you're not capable, but listen instead to God's voice saying you are capable. Lord, don't allow anyone here to listen to this enemy saying you are not worthy, but instead hear God's voice loud and clear saying you are worthy. You are called. Believe in me. And Lord, do not let anyone here listen to the enemy saying you are not loved. Be reminded that God sent his one and only son to die for you. He is the redeemer of all. Lay down the baggage at his feet. Ask him to take it or ask him to help you carry it. He will show up. Let us do the hard work together. Let us run this race well. In Jesus' name, amen. Now as we return to a heart of worship, we're going to have a prayer team down here. If anybody is here would like prayer, who's still carrying things of the past or would just like someone to pray with them, please come down and let us worship him now. <laughs>